you know, college football withers and college football fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. <laughs> you know, I had my orange and white tie ready to, to dust it off, bring it out of the mothballs after 10 years of, of gator futility. But I'm reminded this morning that one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to consume all the college football cathedrals in fire and he's going to begin in Gainesville and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. But for now, it stinks. I'll just be honest with you. You can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. By the way, I'm Paul Gilbert, I'm the lead pastor. It's really glad to be back with our church family. We've, we've kind of been out of pocket for about the last month and out of the pulpit for a while as we were attending the funeral of my mom. And again, just thank you. Thank you, church family, for the way you've loved on us and supported us, encouraged us, sent us cards, and, and the food is still happening. I'm not even sure how that... It's like manna. It just appears all the time. And so we're really grateful we, and we love you this is our this is our home this is our family you know one of the most painful things that can happen in a human relationship is when you are wrongly maligned when your integrity is is attacked when it's impugned when you're accused of something that you did not do especially is this not true when it's from someone that you trust you know, when I, was, when I was a young tyke living on Fountain Avenue in Chattanooga, Tennessee, there were some older, older dudes next door, Carl and Chris Hines. And, and these guys were a number of years older than me. They were my, the, my heroes, my, the big boys on the block. I idolized them, emulated them, wanted to play with them. I think they kind of humored me. I was, I was their little six-year-old mascot. And so anyway, we were outside playing one day, and one of these geniuses had succeeded in breaking the glass on the utility meter with a golf ball. And, and as everybody was hubbubbing around, to my dismay, they proceeded to throw me under the bus. And, and I was sort of defenseless. I couldn't, I mean, I knew I didn't do it, but, but what was I to do? They were, they were much older than me, and they pinned it on me. And I, their, their parents, who were now in their late 70s, Living in California, if you were to ask them, they still believe that I did that, okay? And God's going to consume... No, never mind. They've got, they're believers, never mind. Now, I, seriously, I wonder how many of you here this morning are having to deal with your own issues of having your integrity attacked, your motives questioned, being accused of things that, that you have not done, or, or maybe you kind of did, but not to the extent that they say you did. Maybe your name appeared on a blog, or you're the subject of a passive-aggressive post on, on Facebook. Maybe someone in the office has spread a rumor, or there's just a misperception about you among a group of people, and, and you can't do anything about it. You know, few things hurt us more personally than having our integrity challenged and being misunderstood about who we truly are or what we're truly trying to do. If that's you, if that resonates at all with you this morning, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul totally feels your pain. Because he was facing these exact sorts of issues in our, not only in our passage this morning, but in this letter as a whole. And, and let's remember, we studied Acts 
last year. A case can be made for Oaks that, that there was no single church that the Apostle Paul devoted more blood, sweat, and tears to than the church in Corinth. He planted that church and lived there 18 months. He visited them multiple times, wrote at least four letters. We have two of them. He sent his emissaries, his helpers. He was constantly praying. He was beseeching the Lord on behalf of them. He had left it all on the field, only, as we're going to see, to have them repay that loyalty with relational treason. It's a hard thing to be misunderstood, isn't it? Because when Paul left town, these super apostles, as we find out later in 2 Corinthians, moved in. And they were jealous of Paul. And they wanted Paul's place. They wanted his influence. They wanted his authority. And they began to spread all sorts of malicious rumors about him, reading the worst possible angle into his, into his motives. In fact, the whole letter of 2 Corinthians is written by Paul to address these very charges. And when we read through the letter, it was an interest, it was, I mean, it was an exhaustive litany list. Just think about the things you might be accused of. Put yourself in the place of the Apostle Paul. They said, he's in it for a selfish game. He has no pedigree. He's not very impressive looking. That money he's been collecting from you for the saints in Jerusalem, that's for his own selfish gain. This man is on a one-way track to glorify himself. And this, these attacks begin to spread like gangrene through the church family. And they begin to turn on Paul. And hence, we come to this passage. And the way for us that the Apostle Paul responds to these attacks and these misunderstandings and to have, have his, his integrity maligned is going to teach us some very important things about how we're to view our own integrity and our reputation and the reputation and integrity of others around us. So 2 Corinthians 1, verse 15, this is a narrative. It's a story, so I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it together. Hear the word of God. Because I was sure of this, Paul said, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you among you, Silvanus and Timothy, and Silvanus is another word for Silas, same person, and I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? 
And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, this is a serious thing we do where we come and open your word and we stand under it. So Father, I pray that I would be able to correctly divide it and that you would give us as a church family ears to hear and that all of us, the preacher included, would bring, bring ourselves under your care and your authority. Lord, this is, a, this is a, a hard word in some ways, but Lord, it's a life-giving word. And so Lord, give us, give us hearts that are open to your truth and have your way with us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. This is a messy text, and it doesn't all neatly fit together in three alliterated points. So I didn't even bother this week. There's sort of four, I would say, movements through this story. And and here's what they are. We're going to unpack them one at a time. One, One is, what in the world happened to make them question Paul's integrity? What is he talking about here? Number two, what sort of conclusions was the church drawing about Paul because of these circumstances? Thirdly, how did Paul respond to them? What did he say? And then fourthly, what, what, what sort of lessons or truths does, do we think Paul wants us to carry away from our time this morning? And we're going we're gonna to hone on three lessons that we can learn about integrity and reputation. So what happened? Number one, I'll use this illustration. You know, back in the summer, and knowing that my mom's health was, was very poor and that her, her time here was, was, was short, we planned a big family gathering where my sister's family, my parents, and us to, to rendezvous in the mountains of North Carolina in early August. And we were really looking forward to that time. A month prior, though, we were in West Tennessee, where Susan's family is from, celebrating her parents' 50th anniversary. And so, so you know, pull out your map, okay? You know, you know West Tennessee and, and East Tennessee are a long way from each other, but we thought, you know what? Instead of making that dreadful trip through Alabama home, and, it, and by the way, it is dreadful, okay? We said, let's go to the beautiful mountains of Tennessee, and, and let's go surprise my mom. Like, she's not expecting us. She's, it's going to be July. Let's just go surprise her. Let's, let's give her a real blessing. And it's a double blessing because we bless her, and just seeing how happy she was, it blessed us. I mean, it was, a, it was an awesome thing, and we did that. And it's a great memory. I'm so glad that, that we have that memory. Guys, that, that's exactly what Paul was wanting to do here. He had the purest of motives, you see, in 1 Corinthians 16, 5, it tells us that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, when, when I, I'm going to be in Greece, you know, where, where Corinth is, visiting various churches, and as I'm leaving, I'm going to visit you, and I'm going to make a collection for the church in Jerusalem that's going through a great famine, and I'm excited to, to make that visit to you. And then, and, then, and then Paul, sometime after that, we don't know exactly when, decided, you know, I'm going to make an, another visit. 
Instead of just visiting them on the way back, I'm going to also visit them on the way in. I want to give them a double blessing. So look at verses 15 and 16. He says, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So so there it is. Paul Paul was going to make one visit. He was like, you know what? If I can, I'm going to make two. I want it to be a blessing. Um, I I want to be there. I want to be encouraged. But Paul changed his plans. And there's probably a couple of reasons that he changed his plans. Um, One is what we read about in the previous verses we preached on a week or two ago, that Paul was experiencing some kind of severe trial in Asia. He was in Ephesus at the time. We don't know if it was the riots, if it was the, you know, people were, the lynch mob was after him. We don't know why. But he does tell us one reason in this text. So look at verse 23. Paul says, "I, I changed my plans about coming to visit you because it was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Okay, look at, look at verse 2-1. He said, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. And so, so here's what happened. Between the time that, that, that Paul had written this letter, the first letter of the church in Corinth, Paul had visited Corinth. Actually, this was the pre- previous to, the, to 1 Corinthians. And it was a painful visit. I mean, it was, it was, it, it, it was, it was on. Okay. Paul sort of waded into this morass of mess in Corinth, and he was dealing with all sorts of issues. Temple prostitutes and immorality and party divisions that we read about in 1 Corinthians. And he had exhorted them, and he had charged them, and, and, and he had written a letter to them. And he, this was a painful, painful time. And what Paul was hearing about reports back from Timothy was that, you know what, Paul? The church in Corinth still hadn't gotten it. They, they haven't repented yet. They haven't changed. They're, they're right in the middle of all this messiness. And so Paul, he, he, knew, he knew this was not going to turn out well if he showed up. He was not eager for confrontation He was there, he says in verse 24, to work for the joy of the church, and there was going to be no joy in this visit. Parents, you you, you know this deal, right? You you give a task to one of your children, a a list of chores, and you um, homework assignments to do, books to read, and as you're giving the charge, it's kind of in the back of your mind, hmm, I wonder if this is really going to happen. Do you have that moment as a parent? Or Susan are the only ones. Anyway, we're like, what is going to happen? This will be interesting. Let's see what happens. And so we'll leave one of the children to do their thing, to do their homework, to fold the clothes, to do their laundry, whatever it is. And, and every parent has this, right? It's called spidey sense. You just kind of sense something's going on back there, right? Okay? And you, just, and, and you get the spidey sense of like, you know, I don't think that's happening. And, and to be honest... I really don't want to go back there to find out, okay? And if you're me, you turn on ESPN, okay? Because it's like, I know if I go back there, it is going to be on, okay? It is going to be, oh my gosh, I cannot deal with it, okay? They need to, they haven't gotten it together. That's what Paul does. And there is actually something here that we can really learn 
as it relates to the way that we deal with other people's character and integrity. We're going to talk a lot about our own character integrity, but, but let's learn something about, about how we deal with other people's deficiencies and shortcomings. Okay, Because here, here's, here's what Paul says in verse 24. Look there. He says, I didn't want to lord it over you. I didn't want to lord it over you. And I know that if I'd had to come, I'd have had to bring the rod. And, it would, and, and what, what is that going to do? What is that going to do? Here, here's a great thing, folks. Paul delayed to give them time to deal with their sin. Paul was waiting so that God's spirit could go to work. Paul's like, it's too soon. It's too soon. God's spirit is moving. I'm going to trust God's spirit in their lives, and I'm just going to sort of step back and let God do his work. You know, there is a way, there is a stance that we as Christians are to have towards other believers. There's a stance. And there is a difference in severity and sensitivity. And John MacArthur was really helpful for this. We've got this quote up here, I think. So here here, here it is. Severity, because in other words, when we're severe towards, have a severe stance towards others and their sin, Severity is always ready to punish the faults it discovers. Does that make sense? We're eager to find someone's faults so that we can punish them. But sensitivity is reluctant to discover the faults it must punish. Okay, do you you see the difference? Because when, when faults are discovered, we have to deal with them. We have to deal with them. But as as believers, there needs to be a certain reluctance, if I can use that word, of patience towards one another. And, and by the way, this is not an apologetic against exhortation, against rebuke, against confrontation. This is not an apologetic for, for ignoring and sweeping sin under the carpet. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying. In fact, quite the opposite. When, we deal, when, when God brings things to light, we need to deal with them. Paul's just saying, don't be eager. Don't be overly eager. God is going to work. God is going to reveal. God is going to give opportunity. God is is going to to move with his spirit. It's kind of like planting your vegetable garden in the spring, and every day you come out and you pull up your carrots to see how much it's grown. Okay, okay. hello. Okay, it's counterproductive and intuitive. And so, what does Paul say in, in the pastoral epistles? Yes, exhort. Yes, rebuke. Yes, correct. With what? Gentleness. Patience. Meekness. And that, that was Paul. And he's just saying, as we wade into these waters, we, we, we don't have an attitude of gotcha. We don't have an attitude of suspicion. We need to be kind and patient. And, and, and God gives the grace. God gives the time. God most certainly gave the time to Paul. He was just saying, I was not eager to go start a fight with you. I was going to trust God's spirit in your life. All right, what did the church say? Part two. How did the church interpret this? Well, we read from verses 15 through 17 
they absolutely assigned the worst possible motives to what Paul was doing. And can you relate? Can you relate? I know there's, I know there's people here where somewhere in your life, in some significant relationship or work or school or home or family, that someone or somebody or a group thinks the absolute worst of you. And they couldn't be more wrong, at least from your perspective. Here's what they were saying about Paul, verse 17. He said, you know, Paul vacillates. Paul makes plans according to the flesh. Guys, that's a serious thing. They were saying, Paul says yes, yes to our face, but it's no, no behind our back. Paul is slippery. Um, Paul does one thing, says another. And, and to make all this more the most painful thing, and, and we all know this, don't we? It's one thing for someone to say that to your face. It's another thing for someone to tell someone else, and then that person tell you. That's the worst, isn't it? And that's what happened to Paul. The church told this to Titus, who was there checking on them, and, and it, was, it all came crumbling down. And Paul is feeling the weight of this. You know, in, in the early days of, of ministry here, over a decade ago, I was, um, it was Christmas. It might have even been Christmas Eve, or the day before Christmas Eve, right around there. And I made the mistake of going and looking in my inbox at church. Don't do that on Christmas Eve, okay? Don't do that. And there it was. It was the letter. You know what I mean? You ever gotten one of those letters? And it was from a, it was from a friend, a good friend. And he had written a document, a treatise on everything that was wrong with the church. And he had done exhaustive research, okay? He had. It was actually well done. Um, he had a verdict. The verdict was that our church stinks, okay? The sentence was that he was leaving, okay? And his evidence was me, okay? Or, or not just me. It was, our, it was our staff team. And he deposited that letter right into my box at church on Christmas Eve, just a nice little Christmas surprise, you know? And he circulated that letter around to all the elders. And let me say, a lot of what he said was totally true. <laughs> so let me, let me not. But so much of it, though, was an assignment to me of the worst possible motives. Just thought the worst about us. Can, can you relate? Can you relate? Um, spoke with a woman in our fellowship who's going through a severe marital schism, I mean severe, conflict, separation, where her spouse has so poisoned the mind of her children that they won't even talk to her. And she feels painfully misunderstood, painfully estranged. What is she to do? What are you to do? What are we all to do? How are we to think about this? Part three, how did Paul respond? How did Paul respond? To, and, and there's going to be two major themes that come out, of, come out of how he responds. Guys, Paul's initial response, interestingly, is to appeal to his conscience, verse 18. In fact, he takes an oath, which was a big deal then. He says, as surely as God is faithful, Paul says, our testimony about Jesus was not yes and no, and our word to you was not yes and no. It was only yes. He said, we're not being two-faced. We, we made these plans and changed these plans with a clear conscience. 
And, and there is, there, there's, there's something that's really interesting here. That I think Paul's saying that when, when our integrity and our character is challenged, we have to ask ourselves, what is your initial impulse? Is it to fire off the email? Is it to do the passive-aggressive Facebook post? Okay? Or is it to, you know, tweet, praying for all the sinful people over in that fellowship group? Okay, whatever. Okay, I don't know. W- what is your instinct? What is your response? Paul says the first thing you've got to do, first thing, and, and by the way, this is, I think, might be the hardest thing, is examine your conscience. Examine your conscience before the Lord and say, you know, how much of this do I need to own? I may not like the way it was delivered. It may have been mean-spirited. It may have been off. But Lord, what, what is in this thing for me? Maybe the accusation is only 20% right. That's 20% to own. What, it's, what if it's 50? What if it's 70%? The person that I mentioned to you before, the woman, she said, I had, I had to examine myself. And that I had to, had to be honest, there are real legitimate reasons why, why my spouse does not want me around and has said these things to my, to my children. I have to own that. Folks, this is hard, but it is so good. Because this is what Paul does. And Paul says, I, I've examined my conscience before the Lord. And remember from 1 Corinthians, Paul didn't say he had an had a, you know, infallible conscience. But we have to begin with conscience. And we have to say, I've, before we even think about responding or engaging, we have to say, Lord, what are you saying here? How are you working in my heart? What are you revealing about my, my motives? And sometimes, and this is where some of us are, where some of you are, sometimes there might be only one person who truly knows your heart, and that's Jesus. That everyone else may think that you are a failure or a deceiver, or a, a whatever. But ultimately, what does Paul say in 2 Timothy? Everybody deserted me, but guess what? The Lord stood by me. And sometimes it has to be our conscience before the Lord and knowing that only he can truly know us. But the second, the second thing that Paul points us to is the fruit and validation of his ministry by the Lord, because he's going to show us that, that God had so used Paul's ministry to transform people's lives for the gospel, it was, it was striking. Now, now, men here, I have a confession to make. And here's the confession. HGTV, okay, and if you don't know what that is, your wives most certainly know what it is, okay? And, and there's a few secret HGTV watchers here among the men. And you also like Jane Austen, and God bless you for that, okay? But HGTV has replaced ESPN as my, as my channel of choice. Okay, there you go, okay? I'm not dozing off to, to SportsCenter. I'm dozing off to, to House Hunters or Property Brothers or Flip or Flop or Love It or List It. And this whole, the, all these shows are about these amazing transformations that happen. And it's, you know, of these homes. And so you buy a home that was a meth house or something, and then, then you fix it up and you make $200,000. And I'm like, Susan, we've got to do this. <laughs> Except we don't have any money. And so I don't know how we're going to do this. These transformations are amazing. And the church in Corinth 
guys, spiritually speaking, had an amazing transformation. I mean, it's just nothing short of miraculous. Utter debauchery. The, 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 the term, they, they made a whole vocabulary for the city. To Corinthianize means to fornicate. The emperors in Rome would come in vacation there. It was the Las Vegas okay, of its day. And Paul says in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, now this is so, I mean, it's, it, it's almost incidental, but it's right at the heart of this, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus or Silas and Timothy and I. We came proclaiming him, and it was not yes, no, it was yes. Paul's like, we waded into the middle of that junk. And you know what happened? God totally transformed your life with the gospel. Me, Paul, your messenger, who wants to cheat you out of a visit, I brought you life-giving words. How can you doubt my sincerity and veracity over such a small thing when I've laid my life down and God is validating, God is approving God is anointing this ministry. John MacArthur puts it this way. This is, kind of, and this is his paraphrase of what Paul's saying here. I came preaching Christ, and everybody in Corinth said, Amen, yes, to Jesus. The truth changed your life. You said amen to that truth. Now, now you tell me I'm unreliable? Now you're telling me you don't trust me? You've all said amen to what I've taught, and now you are attacking me after amening? Doesn't, doesn't make sense, Paul says. God's spiritual blessings are all over this ministry. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, we were established by God. We were anointed by God. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the mark of authentication. You know, you order fine wine at a, at a restaurant, Just say, Cabernet, Savillon, okay? Camus, $200 a bottle. I've never done this, okay? But I've heard of people who have, okay? What do they do? They bring the bottle out to your table to show you why. This is the real thing. And it's sealed. And we're not trying to to really pour you Knott's Berry Farm or whatever it is, okay? It's the real deal. You know it because you can see it. That's what Paul's saying. You know it because you can see it. God's blessing is all over this, this is the way he puts it in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. He says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. It's like, Paul's like, we passed the sniff test. Don't you see that, Church. We passed the sniff test. Because you know this, you can be around ministries and leaders and whoever, and it just has the smell of life, that God's blessing is upon it. But other times, you just know something's not right. Something is rotten in Denmark here, and I can't put my finger on it. Put my finger on it. Paul says, none of that here. All right. That's what happened. That's how they responded. That's how Paul responded. What can we learn about Christian integrity? What can we learn? And I want to highlight three things as application points, and we're going to be done. Here it is. Here's the first one. Integrity 
can only ultimately, outside of God, be validated and measured in community. Integrity can only be ultimately evaluated and measured in community. Because, you see, I can anticipate, and it's a, and it's a right anticipation, a question on your part when, you, when we hear Paul say things like, hey, God validated our ministry. There's blessing, and we're teaching truth, and the gospel's transforming people's lives. You might be thinking and sitting there thinking, Pastor Paul, I've known people who've led ministries like that. I've known ministries like that. And the gospel's been transforming people's lives, and these leaders have been teaching truth and right doctrine and theology, and lives are being changed. But in fact, we discover later their lives were corrupt. They were the very worst of what we read about here in secret life and secret sins. They taught like Paul, but they lived like Lucifer. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and just even over the last few months, you navigate social media and you know this happens to many of our heroes of the faith. And a lot of times they're public. And, and, and so we have to ask, wait a minute, is, is what Paul's saying here true? And so, so, so that's the issue. And here's something we need to understand. We have to look at this text closely. We also need to look at the whole book closely. You see, Paul does appeal to the truth and fruit of his theology. And we all should do that. That's, that, that's right. But that's not all he points to. Not by a long shot. Look, at, look, in verse, look, in, look here in verse 15 or 17. He references here Paul and Silas and Timothy or Silvanus. What is he saying there? He's like, this stuff that we proclaim to you, um, I've got a couple of brothers that will testify to this. These are, these are men who planted this church with me. They know me. Call, call them to witness. Verse 12, backing up, we looked at last week, Paul appeals to his sincerity of conduct, and, and how does he ask them to measure it? What does he say? You observed me. I lived in community with you. I didn't, now this is so important, we, we want to establish our integrity by distance, by how we look, or on Facebook, or Instagram. Paul's like, no, no, no. The way integrity is established is face-to-face, life-to-life, blood-to-blood. You know me, is what he's saying. Just, and we're going to get to this passage in a couple of weeks. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 2. Now, this, this is so instructive for a postmodern America that wants to look good and have a great reputation for integrity, but beneath be something else. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now listen to what he says. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Paul's saying, yes, we point to the fruit of our ministry, but we point to something else as well. You know us. We lived amongst you. You poured into our lives. We poured into your lives. President Reagan had a very famous saying when they signed the Mitchell Treaty with the Soviets. What was it? Trust, but what? Verify. Guys, that's very biblical. 
Scripture never calls us to put blind trust in anyone, and most certainly not ourselves. Our integrity can only be measured and evaluated before God, ultimately, but on a human level in community. So, so, so students who are here, never accuse your parents of not trusting you for asking for verification for what you were doing. Don't accuse them of that. One, they may not trust you, but that's a different issue, okay? But your parents are both wise and biblical to ask, to trust, but to verify. Guys, none of us should blindly accept someone's own testimony about their character. Integrity is established and verified through community. And that's what Paul's does, okay? Second application point. Guys, and that lands on us in so many ways. I mean, I mean, just on a base level, does anybody know you, really? Your spouse, your fellowship group, your men's Bible study, your women's study, your children. I mean, this, this, this spreads far and wide, okay? Your reputation, integrity is established in community. Number two, love it or not, your integrity impacts other people's spiritual lives, your integrity impacts other people's spiritual lives. You know, we have this myth of the private sin. You know, what I do online does not hurt anyone. I'm not looking, I'm, I'm not acting out physically, I'm not hurting anyone. I mean, one, that's just totally naive. Because you're fueling the pornographic industry which preys on victims, and you are supporting them with your clicks, Okay, and you're and looking at their ads and, and all that stuff, on a basic level, that, that, that's false. But we have to know that ultimately every sin is brought to light in some capacity. This life or the next. But, you know, God has a very interesting thing that he does. He often brings it to light in this life, and it's a grace for those who are caught. It's a grace for those who are connected to that person, but it's difficult Parents, here's, I said something to the students. Parents, let me ask you this. Is there anything going on in your life privately, secretly, right now, that if revealed will cause your children to doubt your truthfulness and your veracity on the most important spiritual truths? Is there anything going on in your life if, that when it, and when I, when I, I don't say if, I say when. It, it, we all know this, right? That when it's revealed... It will cause your children to doubt your truthfulness and veracity on the most important spiritual truths. Why do so many college students stray after leaving home? Sometimes it's because we don't, they're not truly regenerate. They're not believers. That's a hard thing. But sometimes the BS sniffer is way out. And we can detect this from a mile away. And if I can't trust my parents to be faithful on the most basic things, how can I trust that they will be faithful on the most important spiritual issues of our time? How can I trust that? Not perfectly, but repentantly, humbly. Paul knows this. Paul knows that if he can't be trusted to do what he says in his travel plans, then why would they believe what he's teaching. We all need to understand 
our integrity impacts other people's spiritual lives. Last point, and then we're done. And this might be, this is particularly challenging, and it requires wisdom, and I don't have a to-do list to measure this, but I believe it's true. Not every attack on our integrity needs to be answered. You know, in a day of the dis, right, that's anathema. Are you kidding? My good name and my... Not every attack on our integrity needs to be answered. And, and, and we need to take our cue from Paul about why he responds the way he does here. Let's, let's, let's make one thing clear. Paul could care less, couldn't care less, about his worldly reputation. Paul is not responding because other people think badly of him. Paul is responding because the reputation of Christ is at stake. Paul knows if they buy in to the drivel that's being said about him, that people might lose confidence in the gospel. And that's why he responds. And we have to ask ourselves, every time we're tempted to respond, what is driving me? What is my heart? What is my motivation? Is this revenge? Is it vindication? Is it one-upmanship? Is it tit-for-tat? Or is there a vital spiritual truth at stake here? And, and here's a little principle. And I, I, think, I think this is right. Okay? Our responsibility to respond when our integrity is impugned, okay, our responsibility is proportional to the impact that those attacks have on, on those who are spiritually tethered to us. And let me say it again. Our responsibility to respond when our character or integrity is impugned is proportional to the impact that those things will have on people who depend upon us spiritually. And so if, if there's an anonymous letter that goes out that makes an accusation against a leader or against anyone, if someone wrote a letter and said, I'm being unfaithful to my wife, I would have a responsibility, a duty to respond to that for my family's sake and then for your sake, for your sake. But let, but, but let me flip it over here for a second. When I got that letter on Christmas Eve, you do not know how desperately I wanted to respond. Okay, forget about opening the presents this year. I've got some writing to do, right? But I didn't do it. Because I didn't believe that anyone's spiritual relationship with me, most, most particularly my family and the elders who knew me best, would be impacted by that letter. And, and, and if it was, then it was probably things I needed to hear. But you know what? I needed to wait. I just needed to wait. Nine years. Nine years. And then restoration with that brother. But for some of you, it might be nine days. It might be nine weeks. It might be nine years. Some of you this morning might be waiting. And some of you may never see that vindication in this life. And this is why we want to close with this. When Paul says that Jesus Christ is his amen. So think about it this way. God 
sent his son, and that is the amen, Paul says, to all of God's promises. And we respond by saying amen to God's amen. Does that make sense? All of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Which means if you're here this morning and your integrity is wrongly threatened, you need to know this. Jesus has that. Jesus' yes for you is enough for you. You may be here this morning and your integrity has been rightly impugned. Your integrity character may be shattered. And you know what? Jesus' yes is enough for you. 